Good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you all. I'm James King. I hope you enjoyed the film. And now it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the stage from Colette, producer Elizabeth Carlson, co-writer and director Wash Westmoreland, and actors Dominic West and Kira Knightley. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Congratulations on the film. Congratulations last night as well on the BFI Patrons Gala at the London Film Festival, Braving the Rain. <laughs> um, we'll talk a bit about the background of the film shortly, and of course we'll take some questions from our audience as well. But uh, first up, I'm just really intrigued to hear your thoughts about this complex and unconventional relationship that's right at the heart of the story. So this relationship between Colette and Willie, he's described as the slipperiest of eels. Um, she says at one point that it's just a business relationship, and yet they stay together for a long time, don't they? I think it's about 13 years in total that they're actually together. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are um, as to that bond, what kept them together for that long, despite the highs and the lows? It's the story of a marriage with all the good and the bad and the mixed and the difficult stuff and the joyous stuff and the incredibly painful stuff. And it was, uh, that was what appealed to me and Richard about the story, that within the, from the courtship to them splitting up, there's this incredible narrative arc for Colette that's really her origin story as an artist. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's so amazing the way Kieran Dominic played it. If Dominic had played it too villainous, then the, it wouldn't have really explained why Colette was so trapped in there, um, why she stayed with him for so long. It was really because he had so much kind of charm and appeal and charisma that he was able to sell his fairly despicable, controlling, exploitative behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dominic. It's all true. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts as well about that um, bond between them? I think, you know, I think what, what I loved about them was you could absolutely tell that they were the funnest people in the room, you know, and that if you were on a night out, they were the two that you wanted to be with. So I think that what was fun as playing it was trying to get that charm, that charisma, that magnetism that he certainly had and she, she had as well, you know, to, to kind of play around with that so it didn't simply become the story of a victim. And I don't think that she ever was a victim in that marriage. I think, I think as, soon as, as soon as she was going to become a victim, she got out. And, and that's sort of what I, what I loved about it. And you said she, Colette reminded you of some of your friends. Did I say that? Yes, I believe, <laughs> yes. Um, I I, think which it one? was quite a while ago. It was, probably, it was at the Sundance Film Festival you said that. So really? it was a while ago now, but I'm wondering if you were... If, yes, I, I don't know if any of your friends are in the audience, but... Um. I don't know, are any of my friends in the audience? They can stand up and go, yes, that's me. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I think... Look, I think, I think humour is a big thing amongst women and amongst female friendship, and talking is a big thing amongst women, you know. And, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. But I think it's more... She was a wonderful full, rounded character, um, and we don't see enough of them <laughs> as women. Um, it's been a while getting to the screen, um, and certainly been an eventful and an emotional journey. Perhaps you can fill us in on the details, and Elizabeth, you can tell us how you, how you joined the project as well. Yeah, and um, the screenplay was originally written in 2001. 17 years ago, a third of my sorry life, waiting for this film to be made, went through about 50... Yeah. 
<laughs> Went through about 15 rewrites, three different title changes, but always trying to get it to the big screen. The idea originally came from my co-writer, co-director, and late husband, Richard Glatzer, who was an obsessive reader and got into reading Colette, you know, the year before, um, reading both her novels and biographies about her, saying, there's a film in here. She's such an incredibly original character. And um, we both started reading a lot of Colette and went to France in the summer of 2001 when we visited many of Colette's um, haunts and houses and places in the country, sort of filled ourselves up with Colette energy and wrote the initial draft in 10 days. We thought, that was easy. We see the film. All we've got to do now is make it. <laughs> and of course, that took a very long time, uh, but was worth it when I finally see it on the big screen now. And Elizabeth? So the script first came to me from Pam Koffler at Killer Films. Yep. Um, they produced Still Alice with Wash, and we have made, this is the third film that we've made with Killer. We collaborated together on Mrs. Harris with Annette Benning, and then Carol with Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. And Pam sent it and said, let me know what you think. And I read it, and I just thought, this is fantastic. I absolutely want to make this. This is the third. This is our hat trick um, <laughs> to Pam. Had to explain hat trick, because she lives in New York. And uh, I knew that, you know, Wash and Richard had had a collaborative relationship as writers and directors, and Wash wanted to work on the screenplay. Um, so we, Stephen Woolley, my partner at Number Nine, and I introduced him to Rebecca Lenkovitz, who, we, who did Ida and Disobedience, and we are working with her on other things. And that was a great relationship, and she and Wash were able to develop the screenplay. And then Lindy King, who's an agent that I've worked with for many, many years, who represents Kira, we discussed and we thought, well, there is one person to play Colette, and that's Kira Knightley. And so it sort of went from there. And then there's one person to play. You had gone to see Dominic in Dangerous the theatre, in Dangerous Liaisons. With and Wash came back and said, he's we Willy. have to have, he's <laughs> Willie. So it was like, Kira's Colette, Dominic's Willie. And as a producer, you kind of think, yeah, right, I know director's first choices, but it doesn't always happen that way. And But it was just very, I think, a testament to Wash and Richard and Rebecca's screenplay that were able to attract the caliber of Kira and Dominic, who I just, I think you agree, incredible, really incredible on the screen. Amazing performances. Yeah, we'll take some questions from the audience in a second, but just with that in mind, um, for me, I think one of the most powerful scenes is, is towards the end, and it's really the crunch moment. It's the moment of truth between Colette and Willie when um, Colette says, Claudine is dead now, I have outgrown her. Mm. Yeah. And the camera just is on Kira for, I think, well over a minute. Oh, yeah. Um, we don't even see Willie's reactions. Um, perhaps you, you three could just t tell us about filming that pivotal moment uh, and, and the editing of it as well, because I think it's important that it just stays, stays on Colette. Well, it's really bookended with the first encounter she has with Willie, where he's dominating the whole room with his anecdotes about dentistry and theatre, and she just sips a cup of tea, averts her eyes, and says, thank you. So there's a, a switch from that's where we start with Colette to the end where she's found her voice and she's able to say her truth. And um, I just think it, you know, it's a very powerful speech. We knew it was going to be sort of emotionally a big day. And we were shooting the Colette and Willie's apartment chronologically at the very end of our shoot. So we saved that one for the very last day. And I knew it was a you know, big day for Kira. So like, oh, 
um, do you want to do Dominic's side first or your side first? And she said, we'll do Dominic's side first. And we're doing Dominic's side of the coverage. And Kira's doing every take absolutely perfect. And I'm like, oh, God, did we make the right decision? <laughs> but then when we spun round, we got all, all the amazing takes on Kira and all the camera sizes. And we had the whole scene. And I was so happy. And I said to Kira, do you want to do just one more? And she goes, OK, yeah, OK, yeah. I said, just lay it loose a little bit. And she just did. 99% of what we use in that final take, and it was just such a pure distillation of the spirit of Colette and the final moment of that relationship. And when she says Claudine is dead, it's really about you know this mm. fantasy figure of um, you know Colette as a young schoolgirl who Willie has used psychologically to control her is no longer going to hold her back so she can move on and become Colette the Great Writer. And the way Kira did it was so powerful. I was like, we cannot cut away from this, because you cannot miss a second of what that emotional turn is. Um, we have some roving microphones. Uh, Rachel and Claire are on microphone duty tonight, so we've already got loads of hands up. This is good. We will start here, please, and then if we can get a microphone for the second question down to the front here. Thank you. Um, I, I take my hat off to you, Wash, for your steadfastness and tenacity. Bravo. Thank you so much. This to Kira. I'm wondering how much of your mother's talent as a writer you have channeled into the sensibility of your playing Colette. Uh, this is my love letter to my mum. I thought so. Aww. Yeah, definitely. And she saw it actually for the first time last night and she went, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we had a question down here. We'll just get the microphone to you, thank you. It's a very wonderful film. Very, very well done. It's fantastic. Um, a question for Kira and Dominic about how much research you, you went into on this. What did you read? How did you get these characters uh, together? Shall I go first? Do you want to go first? You mentioned the uh, Judith. I'll mention the Judith Thurman book. Judith we read. We, we read uh, there's a there's a, um, a wonderful biography by Judith Thurman called Secrets of the Flesh, which we all used. Um, and then I think for me it was just trying to read as much of her work as possible. So I'd read Cherie and the Last of Cherie before, but I, I'd never read the Claudines. So I read the Claudines and the Vagabond, which is sort of you know exactly what this is about. And you know, as an, an actress, it's it's amazing to have the voice of the person that you're playing, and her voice is so strong. And we'd had a conversation about it very early on, of going sort of, you know, let's this should be about her voice from the Claudine, so let's sort of take that as much as possible. Um, and then our major conversation was actually about her physicality, because a lot when you, when you read um, biographies about Colette, they talk about uh, her, her androgyny, which, you know, when you're in a corset and a big dress, it's kind of quite tricky to be androgynous in that. So, so very early on, we both said, OK, let's, let's take the corsets out of it, um, so that she could have a physical kind of... She could, she could lean, she could take the space, you know, she could, and, and at the beginning she has a very feminine physicality of exactly what I'm doing, you apologise for the space that you're taking up, you know, you cross everything, and, you, and as she becomes herself more and more, you know, she gets that more kind of masculine taking the, the space and sort of, so I thought that was an interesting thing that we were, yeah, <laughs> like together. yeah. Um, it was a, an interesting thing that we were sort of both playing with all the time. Over to you. Oh, oh well, I, uh, yeah, I had the less fun task of trying to read Willie's writings, which aren't really... <laughs> <laughs> Willie's great tragedy was that he was, you know, very, very famous for being a writer, and he wasn't much of a writer. <laughs> he, was a, he was more a sort of tabloid critic, in, a, a, a music critic, and uh, 
some of that's quite quite fun to read. But his, um, as you see in the film, his attempts at Claudine novels and everything else are just atrocious. So, uh, so there wasn't much to to go on in that way. But he he's he's obviously mentioned a lot in the biographies and and. Uh, um, uh, so uh, yeah, and then physicality. I had I had my wonderful three fat suits to uh, <laughs> to give me the rest of the character and a walrus moustache. So uh, uh, it was it's sort of ironic that Willie was that bigger star in those you know three thousand people went to his funeral you know years after the events of the film and he was a massive star and uh, um, nobody's now ever heard of him of course and ironically he'll only ever be known as as the as the husband of Colette and the, and the the sort of exploiter of Colette but um wash and and i suppose i felt that we had to have that the silhouette which was a very famous silhouette his his beard and his top hat and his that you see and uh unfortunately so i had to lug that around for the entire budapest <laughs> summer <laughs> And it was very hot. It was yeah. boiling hot. He had we a cooling filming. system, I have to say. He had, yeah. a, so he had these fat suits, so then they made this sort of whole cooling system which he could plug into and was a bit like a colostomy bag. So it kind of <laughs> added it was you were phenomenally unattractive. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's a question there. Hi, um, Takira. Um, at the beginning of the film, you play someone who's still very much in their youth, very much a girl. And it's so believable. So considering yesterday was the day of the girl, how do you manage to do this so often, as in play a role that is someone a little bit younger than you but still take it back to those roots and those, that raw characterization of being that young and vulnerable? Um, we, we based the, Wash made me watch a film which I hadn't seen, which was a Sissy Spacek film called The Coal, Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah. Coal Miner's Daughter. By Michael Apted. Yeah. yeah. And in that, I think she plays, what, 13 to like 40? 40. Yeah. yeah. As Loretta and, and that physicality, I mean, I'm going back to the physicality again. So it was the, you know, he really said, okay, really watch this and do something like that, but way more subtle. Um, so, so. It, I watched that a lot, and I thought about that a lot. Um, you know, but I do think experience does al always help. You know, I have been a 19-year-old, so, um, and and I have been uncomfortable in my skin, and I know what it is to then grow into yourself. So I think you know, you use your own experience a bit as well. Thank you. Uh, can we get the microphone down to the third row, please? Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, I was just wondering, um, you know, you always have to bend and weave and, and mess with the facts when you're doing a biopic to make it dramatic and to give it structure. And I'm just wondering uh, what particular changes um, you had to make in order to make it a, 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 a solid drama as opposed to, a, you know, an accidental history, which is what history yeah. is. Yeah, um, the great thing about Colette's story is you don't have to make up all the great stuff. I mean, <laughs> she really did dance at the Moulin Rouge. It really did cause a riot. You know, she really did tour the music halls doing this complete out there piece of performance art, bearing her left breast while, you know, women were still debating whether to show an ankle or not. She, like, a lot of the sort of landmark things in the movie are true. Other things are simplified. During this period, Colette and Willie moved house three times. But rather than showing that they lived in three different houses and dealing with that, we said, no, we'll just take one apartment 
and evolve it so it show it reflects their growing wealth or you know the change in style or the electrification of Paris within one space. Or for instance, uh, Colette's family were impoverished. They moved from Saint Sauveur, which was very much a childhood home, to Chaton Coligny. Again, that would just feel like this duplication that it just, we simplified it back to you know Colette's childhood and childhood home was in Saint Sauveur. So really, it was kind of about making some simplifications um, rather than having to invent anything new. I mean, all the events are true. The timeline we um, just altered slightly to bring a greater overlap between Missy and Willie, because I thought it was so interesting that Colette at that period in her life was influenced by these two different forms of masculinity. Like Willie's masculinity was all about, I am the big I am, it's all about me, it's like I, you know, I'm the center of the world. Missy's masculinity was about self-realization, that's who he really was and um, was able to love and support someone else through that personal strength. So there's more of an overlap between Missy and Willie than there was in real life. There, there was an overlap there, but it's just um, it's more pointed in this story to really bring out that difference. Elizabeth, it certainly um, feels Parisian and Gallic when you watch the film. Um, Michael Carlin's your production yeah. designer, who I know you've worked with you know, before, and on The Duchess, right? Oscar nominated for his work on The Duchess. Yeah. Did an amazing job. But it wasn't quite that simple, was it? This, this wasn't filmed in, in France entirely. No, but I think, you know, if you have a director who really has a vision and they are able to take a team of collaborators, and I think the best collaborators are people who know what they want from something and they're able to seek others' opinions and filter in the things that will fit into their overall notion of what they're trying to produce. And the same with the way that Wash worked with Kira and with Dominic and the other actors. So yeah, Wash did tons of research into the people he wanted to work with behind the camera. Charles Nutkins, the cinematographer, Michael Carlin, um, the costume designer, Andrea Flesch, and fantastic Ivana, who did the makeup and hair, who did a brilliant, brilliant job, who is one of the great makeup and hair people working in the UK. And it was, you know, Wash leading them, endless meetings, because we were, you know, there's still to this day when you have a female-centric story, um, especially period, and there were lots of things that kind of raised alarm bells of a French iconic character played by an English actress, spoken in English, all of those things. But I think they're the stories that we as producers, Christine, Pam, Stephen and I, like to tell, and clearly Kira and Dominic and Wash, they're kind of about rebels. So you think, we're going to take it on, and you find a group of people to work with you who say, OK, we can't recreate 19th century Paris, what we have, but how can we do that? You know, it doesn't exist in Paris. Where can we find it? What can we do? How can we simplify? And everyone comes together. I mean, you would have had conversations about how can we bring this to the screen? Exactly, and, and we found it ironically in Budapest. Yeah. Um, at the turn of the century, Budapest very much imitated Paris stylistically. And um, you know, um, there's even a Moulin Rouge in Budapest that was from the time, and that was boarded up for many years, and now looks more like the original Moulin Rouge than the one in Paris, yeah. which looks like a Las Vegas nightclub, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, you know, we were able to sort of get in our heads and fill ourselves full of the paintings of the era, the photographs from the era, the music from the era, and just really work to create a time machine that would take you back to Paris in that time. Um, we shot two weeks in the UK, yeah. five weeks in all the countryside stuff 
five weeks in Budapest for most of the interiors. And then we had one, one day, day in Paris. In Paris. The last day of the shoot. In <laughs> and Paris. it was so magical because uh, we got to shoot by the Seine at five in the morning and we had Kira walking along the cobblestones that Colette really walked on the left bank. And Colette's uh, step granddaughter, Anders Juvenel, came down and sort of blessed us. And it was a wonderful way to end the shoot. And they have wine for lunch. In, uh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> by the banks of the scent tables. And oh, and we had weighted, yeah, we were ceramic, weighted on. Proper it was cutlery. The best it was food ever was on amazing. a film set. Like gourmet food on the film set. It's like, it's God love France. Thank you. Um, yes, can we get the microphone up here, please? Thank you. Hello. Um, congratulations. Yeah, it's a really, really lovely film and stupidly important um, as a film. And it's one of those things where. It shouldn't be a challenging film at this point, because obviously, you know, odd, 100 years ago, these issues that were being addressed and then unfortunately weren't fixed, and now we're still addressing the same problems today, and etc. Anyway, question, my apologies. Um, mostly for Wash, I'm curious about your uh, relationship with the composer, and specifically the kind of conversations you would have had and what kind of musical flow you were going with, because I noticed that he was noted as on piano specifically, it's a very piano-centric sort of score. So what, what was the relationship like? Well, the composer is Tom Adez, who is one of the most visionary uh, composers of modern orchestral classical music. And, you know, he often plays at the Barbican. He plays all over the world. He writes operas. He's just, like, absolutely, you know, like, peerless, really, in um, sort of young British classical composers. He's never done a film before but he's a mate. And, uh, <laughs> and so when I was initially thinking about what music would be playing in the salon, I emailed him and he's like, oh, Ravel, you know, Ravel is really the complex one who really innovated so much and Debussy and Sartre, there was so much happening there. And we started a conversation as like, I really want the score to grow out of the music of the time rather than go with generic period piece score. So the conversation kept going, and uh, we wanted to, in advance of the production, have the Dream of Egypt piece um, done so that Kira could practice dancing. And Tom volunteered to do the Dream of Egypt piece, produced this wonderful, amazing kind of really expression of the demimonde <laughs> and sort of moving towards Stravinsky and like all these kind of interesting, amazing modernist turns that were very true to that time. And then I was like, Tom, this is great. Why don't you do the whole score? <laughs> and he's like, well, I was rather wanting to throw my hat in the ring. He said, oh, oh this is going to be brilliant. And um, yeah, we just worked together. The idea that we based it on was that there was an evolution from late 19th century pastoral romanticism reflecting Colette in the country through to the beginning of modernism at the beginning of a 20th century where rules were being broken compositionally, and tempos were changing, everything was very changing challenging and the changes like the score does get more like abstract and kind of you know just like shocking as you go through as Colette's character evolves in the same way so you really see the score sort of opening up to the 20th century in the same way Colette did 
And I think Tom did the most incredible job. I just love the score. Well, how wild the stream of Egypt, that dance. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's completely amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, influenced by Robot Maria from Metropolis. From Metropolis. Which is yeah. I, I, when we first started talking about this, I was in New York and I went to see an exhibition and I'd watched Metropolis when I was like tiny, but suddenly looking at this dance, thinking about it and going, oh, that would be cool if we could do something like that. But not quite thinking, no, you'll have to do something like that. <laughs> and then we got, I can't remember who the, the choreographer was. Um, oh, she was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, was. bugger. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember the first time she showed me the dance and just going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, okay. And what's the costume? Oh, oh and that. And <laughs> sarcophagus. Oh. oh. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those days at the oh, office. The, so at the, the sarcophagus was an invention, the rising of the sarcophagus. That didn't really happen. But I just thought, again, from the robot I mean, Maria, why not? The, the <laughs> moment of revelation and the shock that caused, like, as she appeared on stage. And there is a plaque outside the Moulin Rouge that says here in 1907, prefecture of police were called to quell a riot because Madame Colette danced in the dream of Egypt <laughs> with her lover, the Marquis de Bilbo. <laughs> Listen, we're all out of time, I'm afraid, but uh, thank you so much for your questions and thank you so much. Thank you.